Welcome to the, the 2023 Dodge Power Brokers NHRA U.S. Nationals. We are inside the Top Eliminator Club here at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park. It is the NHRA Insider Live with all of our friends in here. Hundreds of guests hanging out in the air-conditioned comfort. If you follow the NHRA Insider Weekly, Tony and I are on there ranting and raving about NHRA drag racing, getting people caught up about the big news of the day. And Tony, this is the big story this week. This really is. And there are two big moments in every year. Of course, the championship, the run for the championship is the first one. But this has to be a close second, the U.S. Nationals. And what a better way to start it off with uh, two, of the bigger, two of the biggest stories of the weekend. It is a place where not only the action is great, but big news breaks here. So there was a huge announcement made last week. I want to start with Andrew. On, talk about the acceleration program or the accelerate program, your driver development program, and how Angel Sampe fits in. So Ryan, Tony, you know, the thing about it is, we always want to bring people and bridge the gaps. You know, and the thing about it is, is that it's no defined way how to get to a top fuel car. I remember how hard it was for me. It took me literally seven years to get to where I'm at right now, like, you know, before I start racing top fuel. So, Angel, we've been racing for years together on Pro Stock Motorcycle. And she wanted to continue. She wanted to actually wanted to race her own bike. And I said, you know what? Why don't you try four wheels out? Why don't you ever think about driving top fuel? She looked at me like I was crazy, man. And, <laughs> and then uh, I gave her a little piece of it. And we came out. And she got in that A fuel car. And she started sifting nitro, started warming my top fuel car up. And you can see the mind roll. She goes, this thing feels good. I said, you think it feels good? Wait you step on that gas pedal. And uh, when she did the first two times, I'm going to let her tell you how she fell after that, but after she got through that, it was just like now, it's like a duck taking the water where she can't get enough of it. You know, Angel, Steve Torrance tells a story. The first time he made a run in a top fuel dragster, he got out at the end of the track and thought, I don't know if I actually want to do this. So what were your first two experiences in the A fuel yeah, car? Yeah, that, that is exactly what happened. I was going to say he's not telling the truth because after <laughs> the first two runs, I said, this is not for me. I don't think I want to do this. Um, two more runs, I started thinking, maybe I'll try it again, which we did again two days later. And uh, the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh runs, well, the fifth through eighth runs, I really started to enjoy the car. Um, I still, my favorite part is still when the shoots come out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I know everything's going to be fine, but um, I'm totally addicted to it already. Only two days, eight runs down the racetrack. I can't wait to do it again. Um, I, I had to admit to him that he was right. You know, he told me to try the car, and 26 years into my career, I'm driving four wheels down a racetrack, and I couldn't be happier. No, it's amazing. And how much, con not convincing, but when you came to him and said, I want to race my own bike, I, I want to start a bike team, how long was the conversation to kind of change your mind and give this experience a try? Well, he's been trying to talk me into a top-field dragster for several years now. Um, and we, did, we discussed doing a bike team myself. He gave me some pointers, and I asked his advice on which, you know, which bike I should drive or buy. And um, we got through that, and, but he kept talking about the car. And I just didn't really think it was possible. Sure. You know, I, I couldn't see it happening. But now that he owns his own team, 
and I spoke with Mr. Gonzalez and my friends at Mission Foods and they were excited and, and wanted to be a part of it with me so because of them I have the funding to race this year and we're gonna hopefully put something together for next year and we'll see what happens but the goal is to race Top Fuel one day. Antron, what is the process? What does an owner like you do? Is it, of course, history with you and Angel. Is it the history? Is it the relationship? Is it her competitive nature, her credentials? Or is this marketing? Or is it a little bit of everything? Tony, that's a great question. When I looked at Angel, I looked at the whole picture. And you know as a driver, as an owner, to be successful out here in any trade drag racing, you need the whole pot. Right. You just can't be a great driver. <laughs> Not anymore. You can't just be a great spokesperson. You know what I mean? You just can't just show up on time and you can't just have the pretty face. You gotta have everything yep. to be marketable. And Angel, that's what she brought to the table. And also her championship winning ways, like the mindset. She knows what it takes to win championships. She knows what it's like to compete at a high level. And she's represented some of the top companies out here from the US Army, Mission Foods, Winston. She's been around the full gambit and she's been just as popular as a top fuel driver or a funny car driver racing a pro stock motorcycle. Yeah. So now if we could put her on that top stage and she could bring that killer instinct in, what are her looks? You know what I mean? I look at her all the time, I was like, Girl, I say you like a little, you like a little Barbie doll. What you in here driving the race car for? <laughs> she and checks every box. <laughs> she checks every box, and that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, is just putting her in a place that she could shine, and I think that she's going to do great. And for me, this is my first step along that way of trying to pick talent, because that's one thing that you have to do. You have to pick talent that you know that can get you to the other side. And I think this is going to be the first one, but also. We're looking at all the younger ups coming up too from the junior dragster ranks. And I know a lot of girls, guys, that's down there doing their thing, and we want to elevate them through this program. And my son Anson is right behind it right now, racing in the sportsman ranks. Yep. We know you guys have a commitment at 12:30, so we'll get you out of here momentarily. But one last question for each of you, for you, Angel, what is the thing that over the next coming weeks and months you're going to have to key in most on in driving that car? When you now have the experience, what are the things that you know you need to kind of build in yourself to be successful? in that car my biggest concern is learning the starting line procedure yeah. because it's so different than yeah. the motorcycle um, even from what I'm wearing you know to how sure. I'm moving the car um, I'm used to being in leathers with some air getting into my helmet and I can move the motorcycle with my feet yeah um, that is totally different yeah. so I'm really nervous about getting the staging routine down packed because I want to make sure that when I do get on the racetrack against a competitor I do a good yeah. job for them yep. you know I don't want to upset any racer or, or, the, or the, the act of racing out there so uh, it's so different when I look at myself in a fire suit I look at the videos and the pictures and I'm like a little kid I get giddy <laughs> because like oh my god I'm in a fire suit and I love my impact fire <laughs> suit so much but 26 years of motorcycles two wheels and leathers um, and now four wheels of fire suit and it's crazy and I'm excited and I'm, I'm so blessed and thankful for Antron giving me this opportunity and Mission Foods and, and Getrex too we also have sure. them on board so all these wonderful people that are helping me realize this dream I, I couldn't be more thankful so one last question Antron and that is qualifying last night uh, you know this is a big par part of the year for your team last year you guys won Topeka came in here win the US Nationals went on a heck of a run through the countdown you were 62 points almost won the championship now you win Brainerd you come in here how do you kind of grade your performance last night and what do you got to do the rest of the weekend well before us last night we just pushed too hard me and Tony were just mm -hmm. talking about that too Brian is that uh, we wanted to show out <clears throat> we ran a 68 first round there in uh, in Brainerd and we we're trying to replicate that last night but we just didn't get going good enough early 
and then the car tried to make it up, so yep. it was too aggressive. So with that being said, it's going to be a little warmer today, but we want to gear up for that nighttime qualifying session tonight once we start running at 7 o'clock. But we also got the Mission Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge Day, too, yes. with $15,000 up the grab. And I'll tell you what, brother likes to eat. <laughs> likes to eat. You know what you, I mean? You so, got to keep those checks now. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> I want all the tortillas we can get right now, brother. Well, speaking of that, we're going to let them go because that's where they're headed. The Mission Autograph Session's going on. Let Angel and Antron hear it. This is a great partnership that's going to continue to so grow. Much. A lot of great things coming in the future. You guys can run for it. Thank we're, you. We're going to stay on stage Thanks here and continue. Enjoy the autograph session. Thanks. Best of luck with qualifying and okay, uh, best of luck on the on, A-Fuel pursuit. So in a couple of minutes, we're going to be joined by none other than Don the Snake Prudhomme. But before that, Tony and I will do what we normally do, just BS about drag racing. And especially what we saw last night in qualifying, Tony. So let's talk first about a, a category that was near and dear to both of their hearts, which is Pro Stock Motorcycle. There wasn't much question in my mind what might happen on Friday night here. And Gage Herrera checked the box. As he was expected to. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, this is, they're just down the street. If, yeah. uh, if you've had a chance to drive around, I know when I had a race shop down the street, we knew the races were in town because on Tuesday, we'd start seeing a lot of strangers. And where we come from, we thought, man, these guys are casing the joint out. <laughs> but um, no big surprise there. And I think when you talk about Pro Stock Bike, the question is, Matt Smith. Yeah. You know, I think Matt Smith is going to challenge, and, and I think maybe this weekend we can still see what we were about to see the last time we saw pro stock bikes on the track. It was going to be Matt Smith against Gage Herrera. We didn't see that because Matt Smith had some electrical yes. issues, but I think, we, I think we, can, we can have that rematch in store. I agree, and, and what's been going on the last few weeks, a lot of the pro stock motorcycle uh, teams have gone and tested, but it's different because they haven't been testing mechanical pieces as much as they have been testing how to launch their motorcycles the same way Gage Herrera does it. The guy does have some secret sauce, and it's his physical ability to launch the motorcycle and get the best 60-foot times. In fact, the two quickest 60-foot times in the history of Pro Stock Motorcycle were recorded by Gage in Sonoma. Yeah, and when you talk about Pro Stock, even Pro Stock Bike, that's where a lot of the performance is made. It's within the initial 60 to 100 feet, and that can make the difference between a good run or a run that's four or five hundredths of a second. So that's some really high-level stuff, and I think it's interesting that some some young kid that didn't qualify at right. this race a year ago, but that was being scouted um, because of COVID, from yes. what we understand, by uh, by Eddie Craywick and Andrew Hines. Um, is, he's landed, and he's just a great story. I mean, you look at myself, you look at Antron and Ron Caps, and really, really some of the superstars in our sport today. And I've always said this: there's two ways you can go racing. If you have a lot of money, you can go on SpaceX. <laughs> you can you can have your own nitro car. The the tougher road is to do it on talent and personality and just experience surrounding yourself with the right people. And it's just so great to see Antron developing yeah. a program, but a, dry, a rider like Gage that has, has really been given the opportunity to put his talent on display. And it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the heat. Obviously, the uh, performances we saw last night, we may be able to get close in the second session today. That's been your opinion. Yeah, and I think most of the racers feel that way. It's going to be late enough, and, you know, we're seeing a couple of delays, and there's a good chance that now there's a good chance that we can see a similar performance than what we saw last night. 
Now, there's more humidity in the air. I can feel it. I felt it when I walked out this morning. So they're going to have to contend with that. But, of course, when you pour nitro in the tank, there's so many things you can do mechanically to increase the power. And that's what they're going to do. But um, I don't know if the quick time and top fuel or nitro funny car is safe. So make sure you stick around for the last session. Of course, the earlier session, they're really going to focus on their setup for tomorrow. Of course, they're competing yes. you know, for money. You've got the Pet Boys call-out that's going to take place. You have the Too Fast, Too Tasty. So there's pressure on those teams that are involved in that competition. In pro stock, we saw the usual players kind of climb their way to the top of the sheet last night. The same can be said really to me in pro stock motorcycles, we can say in pro stock car, but we look at the Greg Andersons of the world. He loves this place. Obviously got win number 100 here. He's had great success here. He ran very well last night along with Dallas Glenn. I mean, we can make, we can name the, the usual suspects, but Matt Hartford, who we both said on tv we'll say it again here <laughs> matt harford made a critical mistake in brainerd minnesota and that was attempting to ice aaron stanfield on the starting line and you cannot ice the ice man aaron stanfield <laughs> i've never seen him get mad i've never seen him be that happy and so he didn't take the bait and matt lost you know what's so interesting about pro stock is we have a pretty good idea that erica is going to be there regardless of the issues that she had earlier in the year she has arrived yeah. she's back to winning races she's back to hole shotting all the other drivers in pro stock the question is is can she continue to do that because right now she does not seem to have a car that has a performance advantage like she has had over the last couple of years matt hartford in my opinion is going to be the wild card yeah greg anderson is good he his challenge lies on the starting line he has to be able to compete with some of the younger drivers that are just quick. They've got, you know, of course, in sports, they call them young legs. In our sport, they're just quick. They get off the pedal quick. Mentally, they're strong. You talk about the Stanfields. They're all second-generation racers. Troy Coughlin Jr., a third-generation racer. But, you know, if Matt Hartford, it seems that at this point of the year that he can go the distance. If he can continue to be good and be solid. Of course, we know in pro stock, the driver makes up a lot of the performance on the starting line. And I think that's really the question for Matt. And Derek Kramer has, has come back into the fold, of course, this year. Kramer, they struggled for a couple of seasons. Uh, Mike Heiner and the crew finally got that car figured out. We saw Derek back in the winner's circle. We've seen him collect two fast, two tasty points. And he comes into the countdown right now fourth. But there's, with a strong points and a half weekend here at Indy, he could be top three. So even if he goes in number four, I still think Kramer's a guy that we have to put in that same category as Erica that is going to be a factor even maybe all the way to Pomona. I'm going to tell you a quick story of how finely tuned these pro stock oh, this is cars good. are. Yeah, this is a good one. We ran into Michael Heiner. Yeah. We were in the staging lanes before they got on the track. And I asked him, I said, Mike, what do you expect? What, uh, what are you guys looking at on the track? What kind of performance is out there? And he really started giving me a rundown of what they see on the racetrack, what he's thinking in the way of gear ratios. And he starts to run the numbers in his head. And he tells me that I think we can run a 656, something in that range. But that's what he told me. By the time we got up to the tower to get ready to start taping the show, he had sent Brian a text. He said, I think a 656 with a four. He missed it by a thousandth of a second. That's how finely tuned these cars are. It's just so impressive. Yeah. You don't, I don't really get a lot of time to talk to the crew chiefs, but I do now after that one. <laughs> <laughs> so the next category we're going to be having and talking about here is Nitro Funny Car. We are planning on having Don Prudhomme up here. But who has seen the Ron Caps Don Prudhomme car? Who has seen that thing? Who loves it? It is unbelievable. 
I mean, to me, it's one of the best <laughs> tributes all the way down to the crew shirts. The crew shirts are even awesome. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, even if you haven't grown up around the sport, uh, I, for one, did. So I recognize the car. And it's really kind of an emotional thing when you see Perdome standing next to it. But it's a good-looking car. It has eye appeal. And, of course, it has the winning performance yes. appeal. You know, Ron Caps, the championship is going to go through Ron. Yeah. But he's going to have some pretty tough company. But... When you look at that car, you cannot help but think of how cool it is, but you cannot help but think of the history of this sport. And one of the coolest pictures that I ever took was on the starting line. It was myself, it was John Force, it was Ed McCullough, and it was Tom McEwen. And I really felt that the only guys that are missing from that picture were Don Perdome. And um, it, it, to me, I, I'll probably release that on my social media again, but... Um, you know, the, the car, it's going to be great to see, but it's really going to be good to see Ron Caps compete for that championship. Yeah. And it's funny because I had a conversation with Tasca last night, and everybody's kind of looking at the countdown, but the drivers that have been there and done that, that have won championships, they understand that the countdown technically starts in Reading. Yes. But for the drivers that are in the know, they, it starts here. It actually started in Brainerd, but um, there's a lot at stake for a lot of these teams. There is, and when we look at this stretch run of races that are coming up, when we look at, say, Robert Hyde and Matt Hagen, who do you feel is better equipped? I mean, Hyde's car has been good, but it hasn't been that consistent good that we've seen. He's the number one guy, once again, in the call-out, more based on what he did earlier in the season and last year than what we've seen over the last six to eight races. You know, it seems like the contrast between the two, I would, at this stage, say that Robert has the better performance. Hagen has the better consistency. Yeah. He needs the performance. But if either of those two drivers can get what one or the other has, um, they're, they're in yeah. the picture. But right now, you're really looking at two cars that just, I, I'm going to say they're a half a step ahead, and it's hard, to, it's hard to imagine that anyone's ahead of Robert Height and Matt Hagen at this point, but you cannot deny the performance of Bob Pasca the yeah. third, what they've been doing, not just what they did last night, but what they've been doing over the last several races. And, um, you know, of course, Ron Caps is, you know, those guys are always there. Top fuel category last night. Here he comes again, maybe. Steve Torrance, <laughs> final pair. It's him and Brittany go down the racetrack, and Torrance grabs the number one spot by a foul. Something that that team has done over the last five years, maybe more than anybody, is that 70 that they ran going to hang today? I don't, I don't believe you think it is. I don't think so. I, you know, Antron, I, I think it was a good strategy. They were shooting for a 368. I think the conditions were there, but you really have to attack the track in the proper way. Even for a nitro car, you have to get the car accelerating. You have to have the engine revving up. It has to be blasting through that clutch. And if you miss it a little bit, you have a top fuel car weighs 2,300 pounds. So you're trying to move a mass of weight so you have to that's yeah. why we have it's so crucial to get these cars accelerating quickly but you know the one thing about steve torrance is you know he's got four championships under his belt and in the in the manner that he won those championships was nothing short of impressive of course Brittany force is the only two drivers to win the last six championships yes. there is no one else antron can compete with anyone he just needs a car yep. it's like the lion from the wizard of oz he yeah. just needs a heart <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a good car. It's just it's just not consistent, and you, you can't count Brittany Force out. So it was interesting watching those last four cars. I have a feeling that those are the four that are going to be competing at the last race for the championship. But then there's Doug Coletta, there's Leah Pruitt. So I, you can go down the list. The top eight in top fuel are going to be contenders. And look, we've seen 
We saw it happen once or twice mid mid year. Mike Salinas would pop off with a 335 mile an hour speed. It's <laughs> like, where did that come from? Well, now now we're basically every run expecting that thing to to go 335 or better. So. Are they the ones that secretly unlocked the David Grubnick speed secret that everybody else has been trying to find? Because that thing went 338 and change up in Brainerd, and that, that was a jaw dropper. You know, what they did a couple of weeks ago in Brainerd, it sent a ripple. It was like a tsunami through the pits. Yeah. It got everyone's attention, and I think what it does is, of course, it puts them in a pretty good position. Yeah. Because now when you race Mike Salinas, regardless of where he qualifies, you're going to have to think about that. As much as a driver and a tuner say, oh, we want to race, we want to run our own race, or we're yeah. just going to focus on the yeah. track. No, you're not. You're going to worry about <laughs> that guy right there, and that's Mike Salinas. So, um, you know, he's a dangerous opponent, and it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, this is a guy that won six races last year. Yeah. He won early in the year. We haven't seen much of him, but this is the time of year that you see everyone start to button their program up. Yes. If they were doing any testing, they are no longer in test mode starting here. And for Steve Torrance, you know, he says it himself, but the key to that, the key to unlocking a good countdown for them is, is within him. You know, that consistency of the driver, the car is there. We've seen the car there. He's had his fair share of issues in the cockpit. He said it. But assuming Steve Torrance can have a strong U.S. Nationals, go into Reading, Pennsylvania, kind of mentally reset, not that he can, I don't think anybody can stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with Justin Ashley, but I know he can land some blows when he needs to. I think pound for pound, Ashley is untouchable on reaction time getting off the starting line. But that Capco car can stand in there performance-wise. There's no question about that. And really, if you look at the numbers, Steve Torrance has had the best car all year. And, you know, of yep. course, his worst enemy is himself right now. The, the, the half a million dollar question for that team is if he can show up when it counts the most. And... You know, we've said this throughout the year, the competition, the level of competition in Top Fuel, and we saw this coming a year ago, yes. but they have arrived, and now they are here. You have younger drivers. You know, it used to be, and you can go back to the late 90s, mid-2000s, and everyone had an era, the Kenny Bernstein era, the Joe Amato era. There is now legitimately better competition. Yeah. You've got young drivers that had good cars. You had young drivers then, yeah. but they didn't have a good car. Now it seems like the top 10, even the top 11 and top fuel, they have something to come to the party with. But there's no question that one guy stands head and shoulders above the rest. And he happens to have a pretty good car, and that's Justin Ashley. And we saw him make a good run last night, but they typically, and we talked about this earlier, they seem to have a better, uh, more conservative approach to qualifying in yeah. the first session. They don't let her rip, but they, by the time you see this, the third or fourth qualifying session, they're settled in. And if you don't see it, you're going to see it in the first round. <laughs> so they've done, that, yeah, they've done that before, too. We've seen that car go to eliminations 11th or 12th, and all of a sudden... They start firing shots in the first round of eliminations. And one of the things that you can't forget about Justin Ashley, especially last year, is they had a, they had a terrible countdown. So they learned a lot of hard lessons last year that they are going to employ this year to prevent that same thing from happening. I think it's a different, not a different approach, I think it's a different look team now at this point in the year than it was last year. I think they were getting down to the end of inventories around this time last year, and by the time we were three or four races into the countdown, they were not necessarily dumpster diving, but they were not using <laughs> they were not using the new shiny stuff. Well, that, that has to be one of the questions. Yeah. You know, uh, you hear the tuners talk about clutch discs, and a lot of times I think they'd love to put the blame on the clutch disc because they like to blame 
the track or the clutch disc, but it is a legitimately a key component that they put and cycle into these top fuel cars. But I can, I can tell you this, as long as I've been involved in this sport, I've seen the pattern a few times where a team has gotten close to winning a championship, and when they get a second chance, they, they make the best of that second opportunity. So I think Justin Ashley is, uh, in my opinion, I think he's the favorite to win the championship. Yes. Don, how are you? Hey, let's do this again. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are being joined by drag racing royalty here. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Don the Snake Prudhomme. So how about this, huh? Heck of a weekend so far, and we've only got one qualifying session under our belt. Yeah, it's been amazing. I, I, how do you like the car? Have you checked the uh, Hot Wheels car out, you guys? The car is awesome, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ron Capps did a great job. Don, what was the, uh, you know, what was the inspiration? You had several iconic cars. Of course, to me, uh, you know, I was, I was 12, 13 years car. old, right alongside of Ron, probably, in Southern California, Northern California. Uh, what was the inspiration? Because you guys had to probably look at the Army car as one of the themes for this event. Well, to be real honest with you, I, uh, I didn't have anything to do with it. Ron's <laughs> the one that said, he sent me a picture of the car. He said, how do you like it? And I said, well, I love it, but, you know, what, what are we going to do with it? He said, we're going to run it. <laughs> you know, and I was like shocked because, uh, you know, of course, Napa, that was the big deal yeah. to have, you know, Napa to, to okay the deal. I mean, he's the major sponsor, and uh, that just kind of shows you the kind of guy Ron Caps is with his sponsors and how close he is, is that he was able to pull some something like this off which was amazing you know we had we had i was over with you guys at the unveiling yesterday and, and one of the things i asked you is that this can't be the first time somebody's come to you with this concept so talk about why this is the right time and why this is the right guy well i've been asked many times especially like you know with my army car that you just pointed out that that was a real popular car we won four championships in it but the the hot wheels car is the one that really started uh my career off in along with the mongoose yeah with snake and the mongoose with the hot wheel sets and i'd like to think that uh most of the fans back in the day especially if you're near my age you'll remember the hot wheel cars when they first come out and we still do business with mattel uh, McEwen and i all, unfortunately he's passed but i still handle stuff for him and we uh we work with mattel don there has to be is there going to be a hot wheel car to commemorate this car for the weekend uh, good question. I don't know. <laughs> That's a Ron Caps question. You know, he's the one that dealt with Hot Wheels, but I, I think so. Uh, the way the way it's been so it's gone over so well. It's been really a successful program so far, and I think Hot Wheels are enjoying it. Don, I've got to ask you. You cover a lot of eras in this yeah. sport, yeah. and let's go back to the '60s, '70s, '80s. Yeah. 90s and of course to this point is there any particular era that when you drive into this track today just stands out as is just just a, a one of your best memories of a, of a certain time span you know that's a good question man uh you know, 1965 was the first time we were here uh, driving the car for uh, Roland Leong, the Hawaiian dragster. So that was the first big national event, although we just came off of winning the Winter Nationals. Yeah. Then we came out here and, uh, and won this in 65. So I remember that one. But another re uh, 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 one that really gets to me is in uh, 89. It was the last year I ran my... Uh, 
a skull banded funny car in uh, Wally Parks at the end of the quarter mile we had won the race and I got out of the car and walked over to Wally Parks who was by the way the guy that started all this and he was there so it was kind of a father and son uh, relationship I had with him so I remember that race a lot and uh, it was a it was a big one to win 89 we set the track record and just demolished them here a lot of good memories the the 89 <laughs> that top end moment you talk about it's one of my favorite pieces of old videotape to look at and to me you never looked relieved to win a race like when you won races you always get out of the car and you had swagger but you looked relieved to win that race well uh, yeah yeah because it was getting harder and harder you know the longer your career goes on and uh the more people are shooting at you, it's it's difficult. You know, the sport changed a lot, and there was a lot of money in it, a lot of sponsorships, and so we had our work cut out. You know, and of course that was the era of of uh, Kenny Bernstein yeah. and guys like that. Kenny was just a real badass too. You know, so with that Budweiser <laughs> King car. What was it about Ron as a young guy that caught your eye? I mean, we, with this, this, this relationship's gone the decades, right? But when he was a kid, like, there was probably 20 Ron Caps out there that would have done anything and saw off a limb to work for you. So why was it him? Well, I was thinking about running another car. Uh, we were running a dragster with Larry Dixon, and, uh, and I had a good relationship with the people at U.S. Tobacco, yeah. Skull. And... Uh, and Anyhow, I was kind of talking to him about another car, then I started thinking about who would drive it, and there was this kid that walked into our pit area and was talking to Larry, and after he left, I said, who in the hell's that? And he said, that's Ron Caps. He drives a dragster. And I said, I said, he's the kind of guy I need, you know? And so, <laughs> oh, it, but, you know, his personality and mine, you know, we have a lot of fun yeah. together. Yeah, <laughs> A lot of fun. <laughs> I got to say, I wish I would have walked in your pit, Don, but I, yeah. I have a feeling our personalities, it wouldn't have been exactly the chemistry yeah. that, no. that you and uh, you and Ron had no probably <laughs> Don probably if um, if you could and, and I know I mean you look to me I, I I saw you warm Ron's car up you look like you can get in a funny car right now and probably not skip a beat but if there's one driver whether it's force one of the younger drivers even from top fuel if there's one guy that you like or dislike that you could match race down this racetrack right now in a funny car is there anyone that stands out Oh, it'd have to be John Force, I, I would say. Yeah, I'd like a little piece of him again. But, uh, he said Force. Yeah, i like a little piece of him again. But uh, who knows? He's liable to get it this weekend with the, with the uh, Hot Wheel car. We'll <laughs> see. With guy named Ron, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is, uh, you had a funny reaction to me. You warmed the car up, and, and that was, once is enough. Yeah, yeah, you know... <laughs> To be honest with you, it's it's so damn noisy, you know, and the fumes and just the pounding of the engine. You know, a funny car is a lot different than a dragster. You, dragster, you start up, the engine's behind you, and for the most part, the driver can't see the engine, of course. But in a funny car, it's sitting there in your lap, and I'm going, oh, my God. <laughs> I says, don't, don't explode on me here or anything. So, no, I... Uh, I, I'm not looking forward to doing it again, to be honest. <laughs> there is a uh, there's an old film called Once Upon a Wheel yeah. that was made in the early 70s, and it and it features uh, you and Tom McEwen, and it's a very to me it's the most realistic look at what a traveling funny car racer was in that era. And yeah. we and it looked mm -hmm. it sounds real glamorous, but my God, it, it was a lot of work. Well, it sure was, you know. And for you folks that don't know about how we all came up, is that we used to barnstorm around the country, and when we got our hot wheel cars in 1970 we built a couple of these big trucks and we carry them around 
the cars all around the country, Martin, Michigan, US 30 drag strip, uh, you name it, uh, Union Grove, Wisconsin. That's how we made a living. You know, and run, running a national event was kind of a bonus, you know, to come and have fun and run a national event. But our real money and how we made a living was barnstorming around the country. So it was real important to meet the fans. And, and I really kind of think that that's why, like, my name, Shirley's, uh, Mongooses, yeah. Garlets, I think that's why we're kind of remembered more than maybe some others because we had a personal touch at these little drag strips. And I have fans today come up and say, hey, man, uh, I saw you run a US 30 drag strip. I was there and you signed an autograph or you signed my shirt. And all those moments are uh, great memories for me. Don, I have one last question. I'm going to take you back to 1978. You, Tom McEwen, yeah. at this race. Yeah. I remember losing a few races that I fully expected to win. One was here in the final. That was really a big moment for me. I got beat. I didn't see it coming. When you crossed that finish line, knowing that his son had passed away, yeah. knowing what he was going through emotionally, knowing that it was the snake and the mongoose on the starting line. When you yeah. crossed that finish line, what was your first thought? Well, <laughs> I wasn't very happy <laughs> at the moment because it was it was just uh, it smoked the car smoked the tires all of a sudden. But you know, really, it all really happened when I got down at the end and got out of my car and went over to McEwen's car and he was sitting in his car with tears running out of his eyes because he had just lost his son to leukemia. And his son wanted him to come to Indy and beat me. And at the time, we were pretty dominant yeah. against him. Oh, yeah. But he ended up beating us in the final round here. And it was the only time I lost a race that I thought, you know, that was okay because the Monkus earned it. And he deserved it. I was 13 years old listening to that in Southern KLA. California on KLAC radio. It was a big moment for us, Don. That's wild, man. <laughs> so for those of you, most of you likely know, but Don has his own book that just came out, uh, what, a year or two ago now. It's a fantastic read. It is it is the, probably, to me, the neatest book about a drag racer ever because as much as it is about drag racing, it's about a man who's lived a really incredible life, and it, and it gets into things about your personal life and about yeah. just it's, it's an amazing look into beyond the racetrack. One of the, the best book probably ever written about a drag racer at the racetrack also involves you. <laughs> it's called Six Seconds to Glory, and it was yeah. written by a guy named Hal Higdon, yeah. and it is a profile of you at this race in the 1970s. Yeah, yeah 1973, actually. Yeah, it was the first book ever written about me, and uh, we were racing Ed McCulloch at the time. He was really badass, you know, and we ended up whipping him in the final, and uh, <laughs> he still hadn't got over it, I don't think. But, uh, no, that was great, but uh, my life beyond the 1320 is our new book and uh, Ilana Cher wrote the book and we worked for two years on it and it's really a great book I mean I'm so happy the way it came out and I hope I uh, hope it inspires some young kids or young people or people maybe going through some hard times you know uh, and you read a book like that and uh, you know it was it's pretty cool I really uh, really happy we did it and, and listen, one last point I think that, that binds you two guys together, and, and it goes a little bit back to that book, is, you know, it wasn't the Ozzy and Harriet childhood for either two of you guys, right? And, no, you, and you battled, yeah. no. right? You battled through it, and, and you know, it's, it's an amazing story. Yeah. Yeah, I think we grew up the same way, you know, with just, you know, whatever it took to do it, man. We were drag racers, and uh, 
I, I never believe in the beginning that we'd make a career out of this and make a living of all things. And here we are setting up here and making a living off the sport. And uh, I just hope that we've given back to you fans, and I hope you've enjoyed the, the journey. Definitely the tougher road. The tough one, the hard one. He is the snake, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Drag Racing Hall of Famer, Life Hall of Famer, Baja guy, funny car guy, dragster guy. He's everything. The greatest of all time. When you talk about talent, I'll say, I've said this before, I'll say it again. No one can compete with John when it comes to win, but in my opinion, the greatest to ever step foot in a funny car. Damn. How about that? How about that, huh? And so we are going to wrap this baby up right here. NHRA Insider Live from the U.S. Nationals. We're going to be back on the stage in a few minutes for the All-Star Callout. Thanks for tuning in and watching at home. And thanks to all the fans for being out here at the Dodge Power Brokers U.S. Nationals. He's Pedragon. He's the Snake. I'm Lones. And we'll be back soon.